1: The horses are at the gate. And they're off!
0: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy.
1: And it's anything but a regular week here on Winning Ponies. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we've got a top guest, Tom Law, an Eclipse Award-winning writer. Right now, he's also the managing editor of ST Publishing that produces the Saratoga Special and Steeplechase Times. Tom is currently in Baltimore. He's at the track at Pimlico, so he's going to give us some uh, inside scoops on what's going on with the horses headed to the Preakness, And also we're going to look at the Grade 2 Black-Eyed Susan and a great rematch between Paige McKinney and Stanford in the Pimlico Special Handicap. Prior to Tom, uh, we have Louise Osmond. And uh, you'll hear me asking you that uh, you've got to check this movie out. It's called Dark Horse. It's about a horse whose real name was Dream Alliance. And basically this village in wales kind of adopts this horse this woman decides to breed a horse and i'm not going to give anything away but all i can say is if you like the movie rocky you're going to love this movie it's got a fantastic hollywood ending but what is amazing is is this is a documentary it is not a made for uh tv or a hollywood blockbuster so i think you're going to enjoy listening to louise osmond Uh, Meanwhile, I want you all to uh, make sure you pull down your Easy Win forms. We had some absolutely monster prices during the week with the Easy Win forms. You just go to winningponies.com. And uh, especially when you've got days like this at Pimlico where the pools are going to be very large, there's a lot of opportunity looming out there. So stop by winningponies.com and pull down your easy win forms. Well, uh, Doug O'Neill and his camp can breathe a little bit easier. He drew number three post position. Uh, He said in an ideal world, we wanted to be outside anyone who had speed. Uh, It's going to be an 11-horse field, but I think the three-hole ought to fit him pretty good. Now, I think one of the big questions we're going to have for Tom Law is, how is the weather? Because word is... It's going to be a wet Preakness Stakes. So let's take a look. If you didn't have a chance to uh, to catch the draw yesterday, here are the post positions. Number one, Cherry Wine at 20-1, to who's been training very well at Churchill Downs. Didn't have enough points to get in the Derby, but did run a game third in the Bluegrass behind Brody's Cause and my man Sam. Only missed by one-and-three-quarter lengths after rallying from 12th. Next to him is a horse that will be challenging Nyquist, I'm going to believe, on the lead, and that is Uncle Lino, who comes into this race. He was uh, fourth in the San Felipe behind Dancing Candy, third in the Santa Anita Derby, behind Exaggerator, and one is last race, the California Chrome, $151,000 race, but not graded. Then we have Nyquist, 3 to 5, it'll be interesting from reading all the experts, he may go off at less than that, I don't have to talk about his resume, all we know is it's perfect, 8 for 8. Then uh, for your long shot lovers, post position number 4 is Awesome Speed, Uh, It'll be interesting. This might be a live long shot. Uh, He uh, just finished a nose in the Federico Tessio behind Governor Malibu, who was a game second in the Wood Memorial. Now, the second favorite, Exaggerator, will break from post position number five. As you know, uh, he's getting a complex. The times he's had to finish behind Nyquist. We'll see if we have a new Alidar affirmed. I know certainly his connections will have no problem with the rains in Baltimore. Then we have the unpredictable Lanny who's listed at 30 to 1 will break from post position number 6. New player, winner of the Lexington Stakes but not really enough points to get in the derby. It's a Bob Baffert trainee, that's always dangerous, collected, slated at 10 to 1. Then in post position number 8, we have Leo Ban who looks like he will also be part of the pace scenario. Interesting enough, in going in a big race like this, he's taking blinkers off. Then, Abiding Star, a 30-to-1 long shot that comes into this race off a five-win skein of wins. So, it uh, should be interesting. And then, Fellowship at 30-to-1. Last finished uh, fourth in the Pat Day Mile has a new trainer, Mark Cassie, who had a big week. And then a lot of people are saying, "Are the is the buzz horse? He's only had three lifetime races, no stakes wins, but his last two wins at a mile and a sixteenth on a good track, won by eleven and a quarter, and its last start at Keeneland at a mile and an eighth, fourteen and a half length victory, trained by Todd Pletcher, ridden by Johnny V. So that's a look at your your Preakness horses. It should be very interesting. I'm very much looking forward to." talking to Tom Law and getting his read on the field, particularly with the, uh, with the slop angle. Now, for those of you that uh, are trying to find out where you can get it, maybe you can't be at work, maybe you got to be near a computer or at home, uh, NBC and Horse Racing Radio Network have set their schedules. Uh, the Preakness will be part of a broadcast on NBC that begins at 5 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, they're also going to, uh, on NBC Sports Network, They're going to offer the Black-Eyed Susan, and that coverage is going to start at 3 o'clock. Again, that's NBC and NBC Sports Network. Now, our friends at uh, Horse Racing Radio Network will have uh, live radio coverage starting on Friday, uh, coverage of the Black-Eyed Susan starting at 4, and then on Preakness Day, Horse Racing Radio Network will broadcast early morning, equine foreman from 8 to 9, and then come back, the Preakness Day coverage starts at 2. So if you can't be there, a, uh, a television set and watch it, you can go to horseracingradio.net and get it. Well, I dropped the name Mark Cassie, and uh, he just had his 2,000th winner. It came at Gulfstream Park, but he was at Woodbine, where he has plenty of winners and plenty of trainer titles. He's a multiple sovereign award winner up in Canada. And of course he's the, the trainer of eclipse award winning champion turf female tepin now uh it looks like he and his son are going to be very very busy over the next couple of days uh down at Pimlico uh fellowship as I stated it was transferred to cassie's barn uh will go in the preakness stakes uh John Oxley's noble bird will come back off two weeks uh, rest to run in the grade two ali sheba and uh The the, uh, plans go on for him. Team Cassie also plans to run in the grade two place, uh, Theogony, and the $150,000 Alistair DuPont, that's a grade three. Stakes winner, Our Girl's a Charmer, and the $150,000 Adina Springs, Miss Preakness. And then uh, on the Preakness undercard, Cassie's going to have ZA Approval and Conquest Typhoon and the quarter million dollar Longines Dixie, that's a grade two, hopefully on the turf. And uh, they're also going to have uh, Jordeth Amnur, Mississippi Delta, an old-fashioned gal in the Grade Two Galaret, and Moon King in the $100,000 Sir Barton, Conquest Windy City in the James W. Murphy. So congratulations to the Cassie team. Now, the filly that everybody uh, is so glad isn't in the mix for the Black-Eyed Susan or was in the mix for the Oaks Songbird She's coming back. That's right. She's slated to work out this Sunday. She hasn't raced since the grade one Santa Anita Oaks on April 9th. As you know, she came down with a fever. And to err on the side of caution, owner Rick Porter and Jerry Hollendorfer said, hey, let's give her some rest and we'll come back. They haven't really committed to exactly where she'll go, but there's a chance that she might come back in the $200,000 summertime Oaks on June 18th. So we'll find out. Yeah, uh, hollendorfer is not showing his full hand. He hasn't uh, committed yet. Our friend John Court has been on uh, with us. Congratulations to him. He won his 500th race at Churchill Downs. Not 500 career, but 500 at Churchill Downs. And uh, joins guys like uh, Calvin Burrell, Don Brumfield, Larry Melanson, Jim McKnight, friend of mine, Charlie Woods, uh, Corey Landry, Julian Lepereau, Julio Espinoza, that's a good group to be uh, mixed in with. Now, our jockey of the week, John Velasquez, uh got the uh, the nod there from the Jockey's Guild and uh when I tell you about this race, so you can see why the 44-year-old native of be- Puerto Rico uh got it. Of course, for the whole week, now Velasquez won 5 races from his 25 starters with two second place finishes, five third place finishes, his mounts only earned just over a half a million dollars, and we're good enough for second among all riders. All right, let's take a quick look. We were lucky enough to have Matt Bernier with us last week to uh, break it down at, uh, at Belmont Park, since that's in his backyard. The Peter Pan, a race that we've said has had implications uh, in the Belmont Stakes, brought us a young upstart by the Hot sire Candy Ride, Unified. James Jerkin trains. Horse had never gone farther than seven furlongs. The Peter Pan, a mile and an eighth on a muddy track. This horse won the Bay Shore. He's now undefeated. Unified. Both uh, Matt and I picked him, but it was a pretty short price. Uh, and the second spot again was uh, Governor Malibu, uh, who's uh, trained by Christopher Colombette. You may recall he used this race to win the Belmont Stakes a couple years ago, back in 2014. Big clothes for the New York bread. And in third, the lightly raced Wild About Deb. Then we went to the Man of War, and this was the race where Johnny V. just schooled him. Uh, we both liked the Chad Brown trainee. Mad took the uh, Mirandi, the French bread. I like the German bread, Wake Forest. Uh, got out of the box late in the lane. An absolutely beautiful ride by John. I wasn't sure he was going to get out. I was getting ready to tear my ticket up. And then after uh, making that move at a final furlong of eleven and one, after saving ground, uh, just a sensational ride. Second was Money Multiplier, and third was Can't Help Believing. And then the uh, final race that Matt and I looked at was the Ruffian, and uh, we uh, came to conclusion that uh, Karen McLaughlin was holding the heavy hand. Did get the job done with. Cavorting the first time Javier Castellano had been in the saddle on that daughter of Bernardini. So, Cavorting takes home the grade two ruffium. And uh, that was a look at the races that we uh, handicapped last week. It was a short field. Carumba ran second. And Spelling again, a long shot mat like finished third. All right. Well, uh, that was a look at national news, what's happening, and uh, what happened last week. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with the director of Dark Horse, Louise Osmond. I think you're going to like this, and you want to write the name of this movie down. It's being released right now at a theater near you. You're listening to Winning Ponies. In the opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. got it With 2.8 seconds He's left. Left, to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is on.
0: From high school to the pros, we we cover cover
1: everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports.
2: And they're off!
0: What? Can't make it to the track?
1: America Sports.
0: You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart.
1: And we're back here at Winning Ponies. I've been looking forward to this interview all week long. With us right now, we have Louise Osmond, the director of a new documentary called Dark Horse. Uh, It's the uh, unbelievable story about a thoroughbred by the name of Dream Alliance. Louise Osmond, welcome to Winning Ponies. Oh,
3: thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, uh, I'll tell you, it was uh, just fantastic uh, that uh, the people at Sony uh, were able to, uh, let me you know, preview the, the, the film that you uh, directed. Again, uh, it's called A Dark Horse. And um, before we get to the story about Dream Alliance, let's talk about your inspiration in creating this documentary.
3: Well, it's it kind of as, as, as good things tend to happen that way. It, this I kind of came across this story by accident. I was uh, looking for the next film to make, looking for ideas, and I happened to accidentally go to the racetrack just for a, a kind of social occasion, Know nothing about racing at all, and was just so struck by how incredibly beautiful the horses were. And this very interesting connection between these animals and people all over the country spending money they probably didn't have to back them and I thought there was something really lovely in that and I I looked and looked for a story that I might be able to make following a horse and nothing really came up until one day when I was kind of nearing the end of the road I came across this story and I I just knew that uh just knew I had to make it I just absolutely fell in love with all the twists and turns and all the emotion in it and the connection these people in this world valued. Formed as a whole. So it's been an amazing journey. It's been kind of four years uh, since we first started. And Jan and Brian, who were the couple at the center of the film, were just out in Kentucky before the Derby and in New York. So it's been an incredible journey all over again. Just making the film has been a journey.
1: Well, I know a lot of our listeners uh, probably watch racing on TV, and right now there are advertisements uh, running for Dark Horse, so I ask our listeners to keep an eye out for a theater near you. Now, um, this movie, (coughs) um, the characters in this movie really had to make your role as director a, a little bit easier, right down to the central character, Dream Alliance himself.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I don't think I've ever worked on a film where the central characters were were just there and fantastic. When when I first uh, came across it, I called the producer, Judith Dawson, who I worked with, and and, uh, I said, listen, if you do nothing else, you have to call these people and persuade them to take part because I was too scared to even make the first call. And she called Howard, and uh, he was one of the main characters in the film. And, and she said, uh he said, you know, I, I can't talk. I, I, I'm busy. I'm driving. But I'll just pull over for a minute or two. An hour and a half later, he stopped talking. <laughs> and she called me back and said, I think this is going to be good. <laughs> and then we went down to Wales. And the two sort of main characters of the film, really Jan and Brian, came down the lane, you know, through their allotments, through the ducks and geese, where they had raised this thoroughbred foal. And it was just... uh amazing and what was amazing they were such great characters but also they had the ability to tell their story so beautifully and so naturally because it was just obvious from the moment you met them how much it meant to them it was just it had been an incredible kind of emotional roller coaster for them the whole journey with this horse. I don't think Dick
1: Francis himself could have created such (laughs) believable characters. I mean, um, it it just—it was all so natural. But I have to be honest, the the Hollywood ending and everything, it is so hard, Louise, to believe that this is a real story. Let our listeners in on what they're going to see when they get to Dark Horse. Well, Dark Horse is essentially
3: the story of... uh a woman called Jan Boat. she was a barmaid in a kind of blue collar working men's club in in a in a small valley in Wales that had once had a mining industry, but the mining industry had gone so it was a kind of valley, uh really kind of down on its luck, really. And uh she did bred uh, whippets and she did bred pigeons. And she thought to herself one day, well you know, like how hard can it be to breed a racehorse? So she persuaded her Uh, husband, Brian, who has missing his two front teeth, he was once a nightclub bouncer, she persuaded him to go and find a thoroughbred mare, and he found one in a neighbouring valley for £300, $600, which is not usually (laughs) what you pay for a thoroughbred mare, and they uh, put this mare to the cheapest stallion they could find, which was about £3,000, $6,000, I guess, And, um, and they raised the foal that was produced, who I mean, they called Dream, and they brought him up on their kind of communal garden and allotments right out the back of the houses where all the people grew their vegetables and and he just was adopted by this village as he as he grew. They would all come and feed him their peelings after Sunday lunch and uh, he just was kind of adopted as a mascot and then against all odds. I mean, when Jan took on this plan, the idea to, to enter the sport of kings and in racing, I'm sure the same in America, but here, you know, it's the hobby of the Queen. <laughs> it's a very, very elite sport. It costs millions to breed race horses. It costs millions to stay them and keep them. And, and that was kind of Jan's enterprise. She just, she took it on. <laughs> and she believed she could do it. And what follows is just this extraordinary tale of twists and turns and, you know, tragedy and et cetera. I want not give away too much, but all I can say is... um. It's an incredible
1: journey they went on with this horse. No, I'm not going to give give it away either, but uh, we're we're talking to uh, Louise Osman, the director of Dark Horse. Louise, I am a big fan of racing movies, obviously. And the one problem I have with a lot of movies is their lack of continuity. You'll see the horse in one scene and he's got a blaze on his face and you'll see him in the next scene and he's got a star on his face. Uh, You did a fantastic (laughs) job at at selling us that every time we saw Dream Alliance we were seeing him and I have to ask you where did you come up with the folding footage of a, a horse with a white blaze and the four white socks just like Dream Alliance?
3: Well that was actually quite comical because you know, when you set out to make a film, there's always such an enormous checklist of everything you have to do. And reasonably late in the day, uh, Judith the producer, said, oh, you know what, I, I must find a foal with four white socks and a white glazed chestnut thoroughbred foal in Wales. Because, obviously, at that very young age, they wouldn't really be able to travel far with their mother, or it wouldn't be desirable. <laughs> Could we find this foal? Honestly, the search... In the end, it's the craziest of all places. Jan's vet that sort of tended to her whippets, probably not have pigeons but her dogs and her horses um he bred horses and he had c c t v of a horse being he monitors them so he can monitor them from his house he doesn't have to be up all night and he had extraordinary footage of a horse that was just the bit of dream and what was lovely about it was that was actually the stable where dream was born <clears throat> and the same vet so everything we did we sort of had to make up our own rules because we had to illustrate this whole story we only had a few still photographs and some races everything else we just had to find a way to kind of create this world and this journey that's gone on so, but we always try to keep it uh Absolutely, as close to the bone as we could. And everyone in the film was from the local community. There were no professional extras or anything. It was all people who'd actually witnessed the events. And the horse, Dream, played himself beautifully, I might say. Um, And he did a fine job. I think
1: um, like that's amazing attention. that the whole village became a part of, of the movie. And quite frankly, in, in seeing uh, the movie, you understand that the whole village, whether or not you were an investor in the horse or not, became invested uh, in the, uh, the the winnings of this horse. And it seemed to breathe life into a community that was somewhat desolate, a former mining town. Uh, but I will say that uh, you, you really did uh, make it, really beautiful the, some of the, some of the the visuals in there it was beautiful but it was rugged uh, was that the actual town in which he was raised
3: yes yes it I was absolutely and i do think that one of the reasons that it had the impact on the community it did was that he had grown up in the same place that they had you know he his, where he was raised as a foal is actually like a coal slag heap, you know, where the old coal waste is dumped. And, you know, Jan and Brian and Howard, they had played on these slag heaps as kids. And this was now where Dream was raised. So I think it was, it was a, a really genuine sense that he was one of their own. And when he started racing, um, Traffic would stop in the streets, and and that's absolutely the village scene in the film, and people would fill the clubs and they'd fill the pubs, and uh, when the mines closed, people had stopped going out. The community had turned on itself a little bit just because people didn't really have the money anymore to go out in the way they had before. And uh, this just changed that when he was writing they all went out there, and, and it became this huge event, and there are some moments again, I won't give away too much, but there are some moments when there were some crazy <laughs> crazy scenes in that village in, in that village, um, because they just all had become so invested in it. And for Jan, I think that was hugely important that she felt um, this crazy adventure she was on was something she could share with the community it was so important to her, I think.
1: Well, one of my favorite uh, parts, well, they actually, they're, they're, there's, a, there's a couple, and it's one where they're going to the races for the first time, and the guy packs up his pints of beer and a couple sandwiches and <laughs> tries to walk in, and they try to stop him at the gate, and he says, wait a second, I'm an owner. They had to let him in. And when, I'll call him Tony Shirtless Kirby, was watching in the off-track betting parlor and takes his shirt off and starts waving it over his head, I mean, how did you orchestrate that?
3: Well, actually, that was oddly it wasn't too difficult. We gathered all the people who would watch the race, Antony, and we and we had to film various races that they watched. We had the archive, and and obviously they had been had pipes in their hands, you know. There. Whatever, when they were watching the race. So they quite crossed and got on quite quickly to the fact that we would have to, for continuity's sake, keep refilling the pipes. <laughs> because by the time we got to some of the later races, there was definitely kind of, let me say, an exuberant air <laughs> on the set. Um, but Tony, that is just Tony. I should say Tony was actually naked during those celebrations in reality, but it, it's a family film, so we thought we'd stay that. So he just take his shirt off. <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh. You are kidding me. Well,
3: <laughs> uh, the
1: realism that uh, you have been able to project uh, uh, I, I, in this film is is just phenomenal. Obviously, it is a documentary, but you... you, you Kind of created a real comfort zone, and as you introduced each character into the film, I think we as viewers kind of felt like we could relate to them, and uh, you know nothing about it came off a, a, a fake, and you, you almost felt like you were part of the village yourself, uh, you know rooting on this horse
3: yeah i think I think it was so much you know i was I had a, a great team, a great producer, and a, a young uh, director of Photography, who I think captured scenes in a really uh, special way that was both... I had that combination of kind of beautiful but also quite tw- raw and, and a great editor, and I think the editor, Joe BG, and I we just wanted to, we wanted to have it be that you could experience it as if it was just a narrative feature, as if it was a feature film. So you would be able to just kind of sit back in your chair... And, and be kind of swept along by this world and this journey because it's a kind of it's an it's almost like a fable. It always felt to me a little bit like a fable because when the story ends, it comes full circle. You know, they don't um, they don't become you know hugely richer from the project, but they're kind of richer in every way imaginable. They've had this this amazing journey and formed this incredible. Bond with with this horse, and I think that was the thing that really touched me. Once I'd spent a bit of time down there, is you could see how much that horse meant to them. And then uh, you know the horse gave them something, and then when the worst happened, they stood by the horse. And it's uh, so even now when they visit Dream, he's living in luxury down in Somerset in Britain, and when they visit him, if Brian calls him, he'll prick his ears up immediately. He knows Brian's voice, and he'll um, kind of whinny and blow, and it's it's very touching to see.
1: Well, Louise Asbin, we've done uh, a yeoman's job at not giving away <laughs> this uh, th- th- this story. It- it's very hard. All I can tell our listeners is if they like movies along the genre of Rocky, if you like to see the little guy slugfest with the bit of blue bloods and come away a winner, and uh, we've seen that in horse racing in real life, uh, you know, horses with little breeding like John Henry, who only stood about 15 hands, end up being a multiple horse of the year. and It's just such a feel good story, but it is real. It's not Hollywood, and uh, Louise Osmond, uh, the director, has done a sensational job. Now, Dark Horse, I want to let our listeners know that they need to keep an eye out for it, because right now it's going getting out in just selected cities, but we hope that over the year that's going to expand, correct?
3: Yes, yes, that's right. I think, uh, Sonny, it's just been done an amazing job, and that kind of rolling it out gently, city by
1: city. So I hope that we'll get to a city near your listeners soon. Well, uh, Louise Osmond, the director of Dark Horse, I thank you so much uh, for spending time with us. I know you're across the pond, as we like to say, and uh, (laughs) I appreciate your time, but I really appreciate your skills. And don't forget, make sure you enter Dark Horse for this year's Eclipse Award as Best Documentary.
3: Oh, well, that's so kind. We will, we will get on to that. But I um, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been an absolute delight.
1: All right. Well, we've been talking with Louise Osmond, the director of A Dark Horse. Coming up next, we're going to be talking with Tom Law, one of the best cappers in the country. We're going to be looking at the second jewel, the Triple Crown, the Preakness Stakes. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No
0: holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy.
1: <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up! Speak up! Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't
2: playing around here.
1: Voice America Sports.
2: And they're off.
0: What? self-improvement career advice and a variety of other topics check us out today you're sure to find something of interest voice america variety talk on today's hot topics
1: your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports
0: journalist of our generation
1: a gentleman by the name of tom law i got to know him years ago down in lexington uh when he was the managing editor for the thoroughbred times uh since that uh, he's kind of uh spread his wings he's the managing editor of st publishing uh an award-winning publishing company that puts out the saratoga special and the steeplechase times so uh I'm going to have to get some of his partners on uh, Louise Osmond and the dark horse. That horse did end up being a steeplechaser after winning on the flat a few times. Of course, Tom is an Eclipse Award winner, two-time winner of the Bill Leggett Breeders' Cup Writing Award, and the winner of the Red Smith Kentucky Derby Writing Award. Just want to let you know, every guy in the country wants that award. It's about the best story on the Kentucky Derby, and we're about to bring a guy on, Tom Law, Welcome back to Winning Ponies. Thanks for taking the time. I understand you made the trip down to Baltimore and you were at the track this morning. I sure did. It's uh, it's good to be back, John. I appreciate the uh, kind introduction.
2: Um, yeah, you're right. The the Red Smith Derby Riding Award was uh, a long time ago now. Uh, I'd like to like to get another one sometime soon, obviously, but. I don't write for the awards, but uh, it would be nice to uh, to get another one. Maybe even a Preakness Writing Award might be good too. So we'll have to. uh, Oh boy, I I believe that is the old
1: Hilltop Award.
2: Uh, I believe you're correct. I believe you're correct. They handed it out today
1: at the Alibi Breakfast. There you go. Well, who knows? You know, a year from now, I might be interviewing about you. You getting the award? So, uh, but uh, last time I saw you was in the press box at Keeneland, but earlier that morning. The two of us got to see a horse uh, gallop around the track by the name of Nyquist. Did you get a chance to see him today? <laughs> I did get a chance to see him today, and, and like you said, uh, we got to see him at
2: Keeneland. I was fortunate enough that this year, my uh, my wife was nice enough to allow me a little bit of free time to, uh, to travel down to Kentucky this spring. I spent a, kind of an extended trip down there, and uh, Nyquist trained at Keeneland right up until the Derby, so I was glad to... Be able to get out there and see him. I saw all three of his breezes before the Derby uh, at Keeneland, and that was great to be able to see him there. I saw him at Churchill Downs and uh, I saw him today. And you know, I'm, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of horses train over the years, and you know, I, I don't think I'm a, a great expert in in, in body language and, and horses, but I can kind of tell. I think I can tell a little bit. Having done it for 20 years, and, and I thought today he looked the best that I've ever seen him look. Um, you know, just doing it by himself and, and and Doug O'Neill was talking about how he, he has good energy and, you know, that was the, that was kind of the the feeling I got coming away from watching him train was that he just seemed like a horse that was just training with great enthusiasm and and good energy and like showing no signs of, um, regressing at all from, from the hard race in the Derby. I mean, I thought he had a, he had a very, very hard race in, in the Derby and he, you know, he doesn't look like it's saved him uh, whatsoever.
1: No, I mean let's face it. You know he was uh, not far from a, a pace that gave us a one ten and two six furlongs, a one thirty five and three mile. That's racehorse time. Now I, I, I do agree. Doug O'Neill just seems so quietly confident. He's taken such a beautiful path uh, w- with this horse. Uh, you know, starting out, you know, sprinting him in the San Vicente. And then taking on, uh, you know, the the, the big guy, Mo Heyman, Uh, everybody thought he was the new super horse uh, um, at the Florida Derby on what could be considered an off-track. Then he just kind of, as you saw, you know, jog, gallop, jog, gallop, up to the Kentucky Derby. So he had three starts this year. But it seems to me like uh, from a physical standpoint, um, he's not under pressure. You know, the Derby put another good foundation in him. And uh, open up the gate and, and and let him go. I mean, uh, the one thing a lot of people aren't mentioning about Nyquist, or perhaps they are, and I haven't read it, but uh, he ran the Kentucky Derby two seconds faster than American Pharaoh. Yeah, I mean, two
2: oh one and one was the fastest time since uh, Funny Side in, in two thousand three, and uh, you know, Funny Side of course beat Empire Maker, and, and I think you know, in my opinion, there were two. Two are really the the really superior three year olds that we've probably seen in the last fifteen years. Um, prior to, you know, maybe a Barbaro or a Smarty Jones or a, a Big Brown, and of course uh, American Pharoah last year. But yeah, I mean, 201 and one is a is a solid time. Like you said, it was a fast paced, fast fractions. You know, which which quite often will lead to a to a fast time. But you know, the fact that Nyquist was right up on the pace the whole way, and and, and Gunrunner for that matter, who was third. Uh, both of them really close up to the pace the whole way and were still there at the end uh, versus a lot of the other horses that were either on the lead, Dan's and Candy, or maybe some of the other ones that were kind of tracking the pace were absolutely nowhere at the end. And, I mean, those two were still running. I mean, obviously Nyquist uh, ran the the far superior race and and, and really relished, uh, you know, when he spun off the turn, I was like, so this race is over. You know, uh, I mean, it was it was you know it was it was really nice to watch. And I mean, exaggerator, exaggerator ran a really really good race, and he's a he's a hard trying horse, and he he ran very gallantly. I thought to be second, but um, you know, Nyquist was hugely impressive in the Derby, and I I just uh, like I said, I, I I have a hard time thinking he's going to lose. You know, like I, I came away, I came away, walked out of Churchill Downs, I think that day, and just uh, kind of said, well, I mean, he's going to win the Preakness. You know, I, I I don't really see who's going to be able to beat him, and I and I almost feel like just looking at the race on paper. And I'm familiar enough with the horses. Uh, you know, I have I have ton of respect for Exaggerator. I've been a big fan of his. He he came up to Saratoga and won the Saratoga Special last year. It's a great race, and he ran a a bang up race in there coming from California. I was very impressed by that. Um, you know, he, he's run a lot of really tough races, and I and almost I was telling somebody today. Yeah, I said, well, if Exaggerator runs if Exeter doesn't really run his race, and Nyquist does, I mean, you, we might be able to see something like a funny side or a Smarty Jones in the Preakness, where he just wins by, you know, many. You know, I hate to predict a horse going to win by, you know, I wouldn't predict a horse going to win by double-digit lengths or anything. But you could, I could very well see him winning fairly easily. I don't think it's the strongest uh, field in the world. I think there's some in here that are really taking shots. Um, I think there's some horses that are like, going to be good maybe down the road. Um, you know, I think Lonnie is, is a horse to really kind of look at for the Belmont. And I think Stradivari, top Pletcher's horses. I saw him win at Keeneland. And you and I were probably there that day. And I, I thought, he's he's a Jim Dandy horse or a Traverse horse. And I kind of think they're maybe pushing a little bit to get him in here. But, you know, this is Nyquist's race to win. It's a race to lose, I think.
1: Well, yes. I mean, Stradivari, uh, certainly uh, I, the post may hurt his chances. Uh, a lot of people you brought up the Travers are saying that they remind them a little bit of Bernardini back in 2006. Had a solid work over the the Belmont training track with Stanford, who will be uh, you know a solid horse in the uh, Pimlico Special on Friday's card. Um, but I think he's he's biting off maybe a little bit more than he can chew taking on these horses that that already have a great foundation. Of course, the storyline here is it's supposed to rain on Saturday. And that's making everybody put a big mud mark on exaggerator.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he ran, uh, you know, a, just a tremendous race in the Santa Anita Derby, and he, you know, winning in the slop and kind of a rare, rare kind of thing for you know early to mid-April in Southern California to get the amount of rain that they got. And he just relished it. I mean, he he's a horse. He's run well in, on it before. Um, you know, second in the British at Keeneland. He was second in the. Or he won the Delta Jackpot down at Delta Downs in November on the mud. But you know, he's he's run a good. He's run well in all of his starts um, on any kind of track. But I definitely think he definitely moves up on it. I feel like the, like everybody asked me, "Well, how's Nyquist going to handle it?" And I said, "Well, Nyquist it seems seems to me like." one of those kind of horses that's just superior. You can run him clearly you can he can sprint and win, like he did in the San Vicente, or he can go a mile a quarter and win. He can win and going 5'8", which he did in his debut. You know, or he can win going a mile a sixteenth at Keeneland from off the pace in the Breeders' Cup. So I you know I don't I don't think Slop is gonna really be a problem for him either. I just I feel like the the very, very top top horses, they don't have a lot of holes and he's not a horse that has a lot of holes. I mean, I, I tried to beat him in the Derby. I'll be the first one to admit it. I didn't pick him. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 maybe I was trying to shop around for a price. Um, I wasn't trying to knock him. But I just feel like uh, he he's going to be tough. And I think rain or shine, which I think the rain, I think I don't think shine is going to be an option on Saturday. You know, I'm looking at the the forecast right now, and it, it's holding steady at 100% chance of rain on Saturday, which is, you know, really unfortunate. They got a nice card uh set up for Saturday and it's only gonna be fifty eight degrees as the high. So it's gonna be kind of a raw, kinda cold 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 ish kinda day. You know, which is really unfortunate. <laughs> we had a rainstorm last year for the preakness, but it was nice all the way up until the race itself and then it was end up being nice after. I think uh I think this year we're gonna need a canoe maybe to could get around out there <laughs> from the sound of it, you know, an inch. Uh, an inch to an inch and a half of rain, I've heard. So
1: it's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a deluge for sure. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it does affect it. Again, you know, a good horse can run anywhere and on anything, and I think Nyquist has already proven that. Tom, real quick, let me send you to the window uh, with a, uh, a trifecta key. Sounds like mm-hmm. you might put Nyquist on top. Who are you going to put underneath? Uh, I would put a couple horses underneath. I'll put
2: I'll put Leoban underneath, who's a maiden for Eric Guillo. Um I thought he ran a, a pretty good race in the Bluegrass. He was fourth in there. He showed speed. I don't think it was a track that really played to speed. I might put um, Uncle Lino in there as well. I think he's uh, he's a horse that that could uh, improve. He's kind of a he's a pretty consistent horse. He's, he's run well in California. He's a speed horse. Um, I like him. Obviously, I think Exaggerator—he's going to hurt your price. He's really, if you key on Nyquist on top, um, and uh, Fellowship is a horse that I've liked. Uh, I really liked him when I saw him at the Derby. I thought he was the best-looking horse that I saw train at the Derby. Uh, he didn't get into the Derby, obviously, and he ran—he ran in the Pat Day Mile, which is a one-mile race, which is a very, very fast race on um, a Derby undercard, and, and, and I think they they treated that race more like a workout for him. Um, he kind of was he you know he was, he was really wide most of the trip, um, and he he ran well. He only got beat five lengths, and they went in one thirty four and changed. And I do think he's a good he's a small small kind of horse. He's an inner he's a neat horse, though. I think he's a he's a pretty good horse. So he he might be a good value as well. If you try to you know if you just try to say well somebody's going to have to have a bad day if you're if you're trying to bet you know I mean I'm not a race to go crazy on just because I think I think Nyquist is is far superior. He's obviously a good key horse for your pick fours and things like that if the you know if the if the fields stay together and you still have some big fields leading up to the preakness
1: well i i hope you're right because uh it would be really exciting two years in a row uh, uh to see a potential belmont winner but as you know there's plenty of guys laying in the bushes waiting for that mile and a half race and we don't know what the uh, preakness should he win it will will take out of nyquist but again i you sure. know i just think doug o'neill's uh uh, put so much thought into the way he's trained his horse up to the Belmont. Uh, as he did, I'll have another, sad to say, circumstances stopped him from running in that race. Uh, it would be great for racing for two years in a row to have a Triple Crown winner and certainly put to bed all the naysayers that said we had to change the distance and the, the amount of time uh, be, between the, the, the races. So it yeah. would be pretty neat. Yeah. It was good for racing. We know that American Pharaoh uh, it's been a shot in the arm. I mean, nationally, there's been more recognition of racing. And if you look at the uh, reports we get from Joan Lawrence every week, uh, the trend right now is uh, pretty good. People are betting on the ponies. So I don't know how much of that impact was done by uh, American Pharaoh, but uh, certainly having another potential or a Triple Crown winner is not going to hurt our sport one bit. Well, I know you've said 100% rain on Saturday. Uh, how are things looking for tomorrow for the Black-Eyed Susan? tomorrow it's supposed to
2: be beautiful i think tomorrow might be you know one of the most spectacular days of the spring on the entire east coast and, and certainly here in maryland um, i think it's supposed to be around 70s and, and, and sunny you know the, there's no humidity at all there hasn't been much humidity in the air here the two days that i've been here it's been actually beautiful a little bit cloudy and stuff today but it's supposed to be a bright sunny day in fact i think a lot of the clouds have cleared out uh when i was coming home from dinner just a little while ago on the bright sunshine was out, and uh, I think the Black Eyed Susan is, is a great card. They got a really, really good card. I mean, I printed out the past performances before I left, and I I commented to the to the folks in the racing office, uh, George Ann Hale and, and uh, Jillian tullock who are friends of mine. I kind of said, "You guys broke my printer." You know, I had to print out there were forty nine pages of Daily Racing Form past performances, so. Uh, it's a, it's a loaded card. You know, there's turf races, there's sprint races, there's route races, older horse races, filly and mare races. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a good, it's a good card. I was kind of just digging into it right now, getting ready to put our, uh, our, our stakes race. We put all our stakes race picks up on this is horse racing.com. Um, so I'm trying to beat the Clancy brothers at, uh, trying to pick some winners. So, uh, just sitting here in my hotel room, handicapping the card right now. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a really, really good good day of racing, for sure.
1: Well, in, in the Black-Eyed Susan, uh, my uh, my bet in the Kentucky Oaks was land over sea. I got to watch uh, her train at Keeneland. I was very, very impressed. It uh, turned out it was Catherine Sophia's day. Uh, she's not showing up in the Black-Eyed Susan. I really like land over sea, and her connections are kind of familiar. Trained by Doug O'Neill, owned by Redham Racing, ridden by Mario Gutierrez. Uh, you think she'll vie uh, uh, for the favoritism?
2: I think so. I think she'll be. I think she she will be the you know the deserving favorite off her second second in the in the Oaks. It was a very it was a good race. Her race in the Oaks was was really strong. I thought Catherine Sophia, in my opinion, was really uh, a standout in the Oaks. I, I loved her in there, and uh, you know I can say that. Of course, we're two weeks two weeks from that race. Easy for me to say that right now, but I did like her. Um, you know, Land Sea was coming off of. Uh, you know, getting beat by Songbird. I heard you, I heard you mention her earlier on, the, on your broadcast. I mean, Songbird was just lights out, and Land sea was just glad to get away from her, won the Fairgrounds Oaks, and then just ran a, a really good second in the Kentucky Oaks where she had a little bit of trouble. She was brushed a little bit. She was wide at, at certain points of the race. I, I, I pick, I'm picking her on top. I think the horse that is going to take a lot of money, that's getting a lot of buzz is uh, Philly Go, Maggie Go, Dale Romans is Philly. Who had a yeah. nightmarish kind of trip in the Kentucky Oaks. Um, and she was still fourth, and she only got beat, you know, she got beat a neck and a head to Land Sea. So I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, uh, you know, on the, their, their trip, handicappers are going to really like her. I, I think she's going to be a little bit over bet in there, uh, making her fourth star. She's coming back off two weeks. I, I know Land Overseas is also coming back off two weeks, but. Um, you know, Land Overseas is a little bit more proven commodity, so I think that that's why I would lean toward her at at kind of a similar price. I could see Land Overseas maybe being 9 to 5, and Go Maggie may maybe being 3 to 1. I feel like 9 to 5 is probably pretty good on a Philly, the quality of Land Overseas, versus some of these in here that are, there's some question marks on, on a lot of them. It's a big field, but there's, you know, a lot of horses coming off maiden winds and things like that, so... Uh, Landover Seed, deserving favorite. I think, you know, I'll take a little bit of a peek at, uh, Kinsley Kisses. It's a Todd Pletcher filly by Congrats. It's going to stretch out. She ran kind of an even race, going seven furlongs at Keeneland last time. I think the distance, to, you know, two turns might help her. I mean, she's shown a lot of speed in, in her sprint races. Hopefully she can relax a little bit. But, you know, she might be a filly, just might get out there in the lead and just kind of stay there the whole way. And then, uh, She's a Warrior is a, a filly from California that's coming in for, uh, Peter Erton, Gary to ride her. Rider. She was third to Songbird in the uh, Santa Anita Oaks. Uh, not crazy about the fact that the horse that was second in there, Mo Cat, who I kinda liked a little bit in the Oaks, didn't run very well. Yeah, me too. So yeah. yeah. But you know, she she chased she chased Songbird in Sea earlier this, this spring and the lot and this winter in the last for genus uh three starts back. Um you know, she's a maiden, so she's uh she's still gotta win. But uh she, she, you know, she's six to one. She could end up being ten to one. At a decent price, and it's I, I've given up, I guess I've given up two maidens. <laughs> <And> <laughs> this is a, maybe the first time I've ever
1: done that in my life. So sort of the game is well, changing, I guess. <laughs> no, you go, Maggie, go. I, I, I watched her train down at Churchill, and uh, Dale didn't have uh, uh, Tammy in the saddle the days I saw her go. And all I can say is the boy that was up on her had his hands full. I mean, it was mm-hmm. irons out front and reins in back. She is one tough gal. And like I said, she's only been beaten in the Kentucky Oaks by three lengths in her third lifetime start. Uh, I, I look to her to be very dangerous in there. Well, my producers saying we're closing in on the uh, final furlong of our time here on Winning right. Ponies. We're talking with uh, Tom Law, the Pimlico Special, a, a legendary race. Looks to me like this comes down to a two horse race. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it could easily be a replay on the front end of the Charlestown Classic. Uh, Paige McKenney ran second in that race. Uh, this uh, gelding who has a great backstory. Uh, was beaten two lengths by Stanford, who will break from the number two post. I did not realize until I did some research that Paige McKinney, who's now won $1.4 million, was claimed for 16000 Yeah, he's an
2: amazing horse. So in addition to the, all the work that we do for this horse racing and the Saratoga Special and everything, we also uh, produce a lot of the editorial for Mid-Atlantic Thoroughbred Magazine, and of course, Paige McKenney is like, he's like our poster boy for the Mid Atlantic. I mean, he's just a, he's just a machine. Uh, you know, 16 wins, 13 seconds. I mean, he's a, like you said, 1.4 million. He's a Pennsylvania bred. He's cheap, cheap. They claimed him cheap way back when. It's actually, you, you talked about it being a two horse race. It's actually, I got a little bit of news. It's actually maybe a one horse race. Stanford, uh, Fletcher's not going to run him. So he's not in the Pimlico special. Um, oh, you're kidding me. Oh, that's yeah, late-breaking
1: news. I did not know that.
2: Yeah, they're going to wait. They didn't ship him down from Belmont. They're going to wait and run him in the Metropolitan Handicap on Belmont Day. So, Wow. Um a little bit of news there. Uh, Stanford, obviously. The, the loss of him
1: obviously takes a little bit of the luster out of the race. But uh, Absolutely. The, I, it, I wanted to really see the, the, that, that right. matchup. Well, Hopefully, it you know opens it up for a couple other solid horses in here. I, I mean, obviously, uh, Noble Bird has talent. If you throw out, uh, you know, uh, his race in the Ali Sheba, uh, question mark horse is this Idolo Portento, uh, oh, who's uh, a yeah. multiple Grade One winner from Argentina that threw in a clunker last time out, but obviously has some uh, some talent in there. And uh, okay. again, you got. Fletcher did put one in there in Savoy Stomp, so that pretty much uh, rounds it out. But anyhow, uh, Tom Law, you know, this is horseracing.com. And, of course, uh, the editor of ST Publishing. You know, I'll be tapping you when we get closer to Saratoga. Uh, hope you have a great time uh, down there at Baltimore. You have a beautiful day tomorrow. And I uh, hope you stay high and dry in the press box on Saturday. Absolutely, and, uh, I'll
2: miss you here, John. Uh, I appreciate you lo- loaning me a little, uh, not loaning, but I guess giving me some sunscreen when I was there at Keeneland. I appreciated that. It was, uh, always good to rely on a friend uh, to help you out and keep your skin, uh, keep your skin healthy. And, uh, I hope, uh, I hope you and all your listeners have a great Preakness weekend.
1: All right, Tom, well, us light-skinned Irishmen got to keep a check on that. All right, we've been talking to Eclipse Award-winning writer Tom Law. Uh, I also, of course, want to thank Louise Osmond. I also want to tell you to make sure that you put Dark Horse on your list of things to do. That wraps it up. Hope you have a great Preakness. Come on over to winningponies.com, get the easy win forms, and crush them at Pimlico this week as I look out the press box window across the manicured turf course over the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. Remember, when you go to the races, everybody, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.